Today's message is titled, Jump in the Water. You could write that down, Jump in the Water. It'll be fun. Um, I didn't bring a pool or a kiddie pool, and I wasn't, uh, you know, it would have been awesome to get a couple people as an illustration, have them jump in, and, but the, the, the rug stains a lot with water, so we decided we're not going to do this, and don't get fooled by this um, fake wood up here, amen? <laughs> so no water. As we look at this, as this message, jump in the water, I really want to talk about God's presence, God's presence over our lives, God's presence in our lives. And um, the Lord has really been tugging my heart with this for weeks now. And I, and I knew at some point I was going to share it because he just, he just wouldn't, you know, you go with weeks, just God speaking to you. And then you're like, okay, that was for me. And, and, and I have been in prayer about a lot of things in my own personal life, uh, my devotion with the Lord, my time with God. And, and I just want to, I just, I don't know about you guys, just want to continue to get closer to the Lord and his word and his truth and his presence. You know what I mean? And as God has been dealing with me in that, I, I know for weeks now, I was like, oh, I'm just going to share what God's been speaking to me to the church. And that's kind of what I want to do with you guys today and jump in the water. Because I've seen many people, many, many exchange God's presence. And if you could listen to all these words that I'm, I'm going to share with you, I've seen many exchange God's presence for the temporary present, if that makes any sense to you. They've exchanged the presence of God for temporary present in their lives. And those temporary present things can be anything. Things that do not make sense to the things of God is specifically what I'm talking about. So many have exchanged the eternal, listen to what I'm saying here, for the perishing present. I don't know if that makes sense to any of you. But I've seen that. Seen that with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. I've seen that with many individuals. And, and this is a phrase that God's been speaking to me. And it's this, it's that we live in his presence so that we can better live in the present. And that's the truth. I live, we live in his presence so that we could better live in our present. When I'm disconnected to God, I'm disconnected to all things in the present. I mean, it's just not working. You've heard me share this so many Sundays. My marriage isn't working when I'm not connected to God. My, I mean, I know that his presence is to make me better right now here. And I need his presence because I know that I can't. I know that I'm not able. I know that he can. I know that he's able. So I need of him. And I need his presence to get through each day. Because I'm sure there's not one person in here that can't... Um, Confess with me, well, I struggle with sin, you know. And maybe you're here like, I, I don't. Uh, I doubt it. But we all struggle with sin. We all struggle with sin, with temptations, with our flesh. We are in constant battle with our own thoughts. Any amens on that one? Thoughts that weigh us down, lie to us at points in our lives, even defeat us. So I understand the importance to be in prayer throughout the day. I'm just talking in my, in my own walk with Christ. I understand the importance throughout the day to be in worship, to be in his word throughout the day. There are days when I make myself busy for God, if that makes any sense. I, I make myself, or forget that, I just 
plainly ignore God. And I know how that feels in my soul. And I know that if I continue in that pattern, the danger that that is, it's dangerous for me and it's deadly to my walk if I continue day one and day two and day three in that pattern where I am not in his word and I am not in his presence and I am not in prayer and I am not in worship. I know that I find myself, I don't know if I have any um, people with me that stand in agreement, but I know that I am in danger when I see that for days in and day out, I am outside of his presence and I'm not longing to ever enter it. Like it's dangerous. It's deadly at times to our walk, at least to mine it is. And truth is, truth is we don't have, when we look at the scripture, we don't have time to speak on every person in the text and scripture in the Bible that we find that lived in his presence to later on walk away from the Lord. I mean, there are examples after examples. Many have lived in God's presence to then later on exchange it for temporary present. And, and I guess my encouragement to you as we get into scripture is that that will not be us, that that will never be me. Don't let that be you. Recognize that we need his presence to better live in our present. And I'm going to say that a lot today. I think about Moses. If you're there, you could turn to, if, if you have your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 33. For some of you, this story, you will relate to it and you know it. But I want to just highlight some things that God kind of poured into my heart as I read Exodus 33. We are in verse 12 of Exodus 33. If you're there, give me an amen and I'll start reading. Exodus 33:12. And it says this. It says, one day Moses, this is Moses meeting with the Lord on Mount Sinai. Listen to, look, look at, let's read and listen and, and look at these words. One day Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me take these people up to the promised land. But you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me I know you by name and I look favorably on you. Everyone say he looks favorably on me. Yeah, just believe that for yourself. Verse 13 says, if it is true that you look favorably on me, if your grace is on me, one translation says. Look what he says next. Let me know your ways so that I may understand you more fully. And continue to enjoy your favor. I look at this and say, man, what a request, right? Let me know your ways so that I may understand you more fully. That's a great request. And remember that this nation is your very own people. Verse 14. So the Lord replied and said, I will personally go with you. Do you see God making himself personal there with Moses? Notice Moses' words here. He says what? These are your very own people. But what is God telling Moses? Right. And you are. You are my very own son. I am personally going to go with, I know you're speaking on behalf of Israel, but Moses, right now, I'm speaking on your behalf. I go with you. I love that he's a personal God. I love that he, he, he wants to dwell. He, he, he wants to dwell in us. He wants to make his presence known to us. He tells Moses here, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. The King James Version says it this way, my presence shall go with you, or thee, 
My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest, and everything will be fine for you. So Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart. Man, like, just, you could write that, you could highlight that. Your presence among us sets your people, sets me apart. Are we set apart? Are you set apart? Because if we're set apart, it's his presence among us that sets us apart. Amen? Your presence sets us apart. From all other people on the earth. That is so true, man. That is so true. It says in verse 17, So the Lord replies to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I, have, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. And Moses responds, look at this, guys, don't miss this. Then show me your glory. Show me your glorious presence. And Moses was hungry. Show me your glorious presence. New King James says, then please, then please show me your glory. Verse 19 says, so the Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will call out my name, Yahweh. That's the proper Hebrew word there, Yahweh. And if you're taking notes or if you write in your Bible and you like that kind of stuff, write this down. That means the existing one. Let's read that with that phrase. Ready? So the Lord replied, verse 19, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will call out my name, the existing one. Say that with me. The existing one. I will call out my name, the existing one. Does God even exist? I will call out my name, the existing one. Is God even present in my life? I will call out my name, the existing one. Will God even be with me in this journey? I will call out my name, the existing one. Is he even in my marriage anymore? I will call out my name, the existing one. Right when you think God is not existent, he is more existent than you could ever imagine. He is Yahweh, the existent one. Moses, I will call out my name. Why is he not saying, Moses, you will call out my name? I think I get it. Because Moses, I'm going to show you that my presence is there. I will be there. I am the existing one and I will call out my name. You won't even have to call out for me. I'm just going to be like, I'm here before you even say it. And when you turn around to look for me, I'm already in front of you saying, I'm actually in front of you. Oh. I will call out my name, Yahweh, the existing one before you. For I will show mercy on anyone I choose, compassion on anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live The Lord continues, stand near this rock, and as my glorious presence passes, I will hide you in the crevice of this rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by, and I will remove my hand, and I will let you see me from behind, and my face will not be seen. Man, I look at this passage right here, and I believe believe what led Moses to ask and make such a bold question. Please, please show me your glory. That phrase, I believe what made him. Make such a bold statement 
was the desire that was seen in his first request. Did you guys highlight it, the first request? I'll read it to you just in case you missed it. The second one was, please show me your glory. But why is he saying, please show me your glory? Because of the first request. The first request was what? Let me know your ways so that I may understand you more fully. That's awesome. So what is Moses really saying? What's really happening in Moses' heart? I feel as if Moses knew. Does anyone in here feel like Moses knew? I feel like he knew. Let me tell you what I feel he knew. I feel that he knew this. Ready? That if I am in his presence, if I am in his presence, then I will know his ways and I will understand him more fully. But if I'm not in his presence, there is no way I will understand and know him more fully. You ever stood there? You ever looked at someone and says, how come they know God so differently? Because you have no idea what their private devotion is with Christ. So in the public, you marvel. But you should see their knees, how rugged they are because of their private. Their voice, how hoarse it is because of their cry in private. And I believe that Moses knew that. Man, I I feel... I know God's in here today. Moses knew this, that if I'm in your presence, Lord, the existing one, if I exist in his existence, then I know I will figure out his ways and I will understand him more fully. You know, this is a big revelation for us. Because how many of, gosh, man, how many of us are still trying to figure ourselves out? Right? Right? You fully will, you will figure yourself out fully when you fully live in his presence. Because I know, trust me, you guys, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? When you stand in God's presence and you stand in his truth, doesn't he reveal to you who you are? Oh, man, he just showed me who I was. Listen to this. In your presence, Lord, is where I know your way, is what Moses is saying. So what is he really saying? Not only will I know your way, but in your presence, Lord, is where I find my way. Did you guys know that? Moses was searching and seeking, looking for his way, but he only recognized that the only manner in which his way would be revealed to him if he only knew God's way. So what does that mean? That if we live in his presence and we know his way, then we find our way. We can stop looking for our way. What's the next thing that Moses is saying? In your presence, Lord, is where I will understand you more fully. You know how many people look at me and say, I don't understand you. And I'm like, thank God God understands me. (laughs) I will understand you more fully in your presence, Lord, is what Moses is saying. So I get it what that means to us, that in your presence is also where I will understand me more fully. So I asked some of you, how many of you are trying to figure yourselves out? Many hands went up. Move. Move from where you're at. Get in his presence. Because he exists. The existing one is there. And in his presence, Moses knew this. In your presence, I find your way. I finally find my way. In your presence, I understand you more fully. I finally understand me more fully. I was so lost, but now I'm found. Do you think that amazing grace lyrics, it's not biblical? 
What does that mean? I was so confused. I was looking for identity. I was running around with certain people. I was doing certain things. And I was going certain places. Not because those things were me. I was lost when I got into the presence of God. And God began to transform my life. Then the real me came out. And God showed me what he has called me to walk into. And finally, I understood me more fully. And finally. I figured out what my way was that I was supposed to walk in. But it only was revealed to me when I found and I lived and I felt myself in the presence of the existing one. Man. I don't know if this quote will mean anything to you, but I'm a man of, that likes quotes. A.W. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. About us. About us. So what do you think about God when he comes into your mind? What do you think about the existing one when he comes into your mind? You're going to figure out who you are. It's going to show a lot about who you are, where you stand. It's going to show you a lot about yourselves. So many people are trying to figure themselves out. The voices that they choose to listen to. Think about how you stand there. Who are the voices that you're trying to listen to? Who are the people that you are choosing to lead? Or forget that. Who are the people that you are choosing to follow what are the things that you do, want to do, plan to do? Put yourself in some of these questions. What do you believe or do not believe about yourself? Most people's questions or feelings about themselves would be answered if they only met the existing one, Yahweh. See, because when you are led by his presence, then... You can better live in your present. That's what God's been speaking to me. Let's close up in prayer. <laughs> I have a lot more. <laughs> I have a lot more. It's been weeks of him sharing things with me. Here we go. His presence. Some of you guys are like, what? We're going to finally make it to that lunch. His presence <laughs> is found in our worship. His presence is found in our prayer. His presence is found in his word. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. We can't live separated from those things and yet expect to still live in his presence. Yahweh, the existing one. We, we can't expect to be absent of worship, prayer, and his word, be separated from that, and yet say, God, why is your presence not with me? Yahweh, the existing one, listen, either he exists in our lives or he doesn't exist in our lives. So my question is, does the existing one exist with you? Is his presence alive in you? Is it alive in us? Because I truly believe that he wants to be alive in us. I truly believe that he wants to dwell in us. I truly believe he wants to tabernacle and take his presence in us. God speaks to the Jewish captives in Babylon in Jeremiah 29, 13. And he tells these Jewish captives something so profound. He says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. He desires that. He says in Revelation chapter 3.20, very similar to what he tells the Jewish captives in Babylon. He says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. I will dine with him and he with me. I, I truly believe that he desires his presence over in our lives. 
C.S. Lewis, my favorite book is actually Mere Christianity, if you know that about me. And he says this, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. He brought his presence to earth so he could unite us with God. Watchman Nee said, I must first have the sense of God's possession of me before I can have the sense of his presence with me. Lord, take possession of me so I can have your presence with me. Oh, man, just like, just take that, man. I think about Samson. I'm going to stick on, Stan- I'm going to just sit on Samson for a little bit. If you know anything about Samson, he was a judge of, over Israel. Samson was a man of power. Samson was a man of extreme strength. And God told his parents that, that Samson would begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And when you study the life of Samson, you start to see that he's a very interesting individual. I mean, he was strong. We know some of the things. I'll name some. We know that at one, one point, he, he tore a lion apart with his very own hands. And scripture says, as if it were a young goat. My wife tells me to rip boxes up and throw it in the garbage. And I struggle with boxes and cardboard boxes. And I'm, I'm, I stand, come on, any man with me? Don't act like you're all tough. You have to like jump on top of the cardboard boxes. You take out your little knife and then you cut it and then you finally do it. Okay, I feel like a fool right now. <laughs> Whatever. So he tore a lion apart with his bare hands if he was a young goat. We know that he once caught 300 foxes. He tied them tail by tail. In the middle of each tail, he lit up a torch. And he let those foxes loose. To burn up the Philistines and the, the vineyards, the olive groves, and the grain fields. Destroy it all. 300 foxes. I mean, that's, that's serious. First, how do you catch a fox? Forget about what the fox says. You know, how does... How does he even catch the fox and tie tail by tail and put a torch on fire? Like, that's crazy stuff. He once uh, took a jawbone of a donkey and he killed 1,000 Philistines with it. That's wild. Samson was a man in which, when you look at him in the story here, God's presence was upon him. And people knew that God was with Samson. Like, it was obvious. God was with this guy. It actually says in Judges chapter 13, verse 25, it says that as Samson, this child grew older, that the Lord blessed him. And in verse 35, it says, and the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. The spirit of the Lord, as he grew, began to move. I look at that and I was like, yeah, yeah, I get what it's saying there, that the presence of God was with Samson. Wouldn't you guys agree with me? And when you look at the life of Samson, you can learn a lot. He took a Nazarite vow. He was a Nazarene. And you could study that in Numbers chapter 6 if you're interested and in what a Nazarite was. And they took a covenant, a pact, a vow with God of how they're going to be consecrated and set apart for God. And, and that's what he was. He was a Nazarite. And God sent word to his parents and to Samson. And he knew very well that there were a few things that he would refrain from for the rest of his life if he was going to take this vow in. I'm going to give you just a couple examples. One of them was, Samson, you were to drink of no wine or no similar drink, no alcohol beverages, and nothing from the vineyard. You can't have any grapes, any grape juice, none of that because you're a Nazarite. 
Samson, you weren't to touch anything dead. Don't even come near a dead body. Don't even take anything that is unclean either. You can't do that. Stay away from anything that is dead or any dead body. Another one that's very popular was, Samson, you are to never cut your hair. You need to let your locks grow. We know that Samson had seven locks. He must have looked amazing, but whatever. He had seven locks. Seven locks on his head. But as we continue to, you know what's crazy about Samson? He had a supernatural strength. Because you remember when they went looking for Samson, they said, show us who he is. If Samson was this massive bodybuilder like Hollywood shows him, they were going to know who Samson is. It's obviously the biggest guy in the town. So Samson looked most likely, I'm sure he was somewhat ripped. He worked with his hands. But he looked like normal, ordinary individual men. But he had a supernatural strength. God's presence was with him. If not, they wouldn't ask, well, who's Samson? You walk into a town, you'll know who Samson is if he's that massive bodybuilder. I mean, I'm just thinking. I don't know. I wasn't there. But as we continue to read this story in Judges chapter 14, verse 8 and 9, we know that Samson killed many people. We know Samson was around a lot of dead bodies. That's one of his Nazarite vows. In Judges 14, 8 and 9, it says later when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off, he turned off the path to, to look at the carcass of a lion this is the line that he ripped with his bare hands. He's killed, dead, he's killed people. Now there's dead bodies. He's killed lions. Now there's a dead lion. And it says, and he found that a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass. Verse 9 says, he scooped some of the honey into his hands and he ate it along the way. And he also gave some to his father and mother and they ate it. But look at the next part. It says this, but he didn't tell them that he'd taken honey from the carcass of a lion. You know what I wrote in my Bible? What was he hiding from them? I'll tell you what he was hiding. He was breaking a covenant. He was breaking a Nazarite vow. He reached into a dead carcass. And he took something that was formed within a dead carcass. And he began to eat it and put it to his lips. In chapter 14, he was celebrating. And we see that there was a lot of parties. There was a lot of feasts. He had a seven-day feast when he got married even to this wife of his, and there was alcohol most likely involved in these parties if you study the history of these feasts. And we know that with one of these feasts, he was with his wife there for seven days, and they were known to have alcohol and wine. He was definitely around it. I mean, you could be the judge. I don't know. I wasn't there, but I don't know if he drank from some of it or took a sip of some of that juice or some of that wine, but, but I know that he was around it. You could just kind of figure that out. I know he killed people and it was around dead bodies. I know he reached into a dead lion and he wasn't supposed to even touch anything that was dead. I know all that. And I know there's a famous story about Delilah. If I were to ask you, how did Samson lose his strength? Most people would say it's when Delilah cut his hair. I'm going to tell you, I don't even think it's when Delilah cut his hair. So we would say something like, oh, I know when his strength ended. Delilah three times tried to get it out of him. Samson, how do you get your strength? The Philistines were trying to entice her. Go, go, we'll give you this much money and tell us how he gets his strength. And three times she, he lied to her and he would not tell her how he did it. And finally, she drove his soul crazy that she he couldn't, he says, to the point of death. That he told her all of his heart. When she saw that he told her all of his heart, she called the Philistines and she finally said, I know it. I know how he gets his strength. Let's read Judges chapter 16 verses 19 through 22. Look what it says here. It says this. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees. And I mean, come on, man. She was giving him coquitas and everything, you know. 
You guys know when a man puts his head on a woman on her knees, it's because she was giving him coquillita and she was playing with his locks. And don't give me that. No guy just falls asleep on a woman's knees. You guys know you like a pillow. Whatever, you can take that. That's awesome. It says, and called for a man and had him shave off his seven locks for, of his head. And she began to torment him, and his strength left him. Look at verse 20. It says, and she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep, and he said, I will go out before at other times, and I will shake myself free. Guys, guys, do not miss the next part. Underline this. Highlight this. Here it is. Ready? But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Oh, verse, verse 13, verse 25 says, and the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. And then in verse 16, uh, verse 20 says, and he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. So then the Philistines took him and they gouged out his eyes. I mean, that's not nice. And they brought him down to Gaza, and they bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. They made him as a slave there in the middle of the, of the town center, and, and he was just grinding away with other slaves, just pushing these massive logs, and he's blind, and he can't see. Maybe they're whipping him, and here is Samson, the one who was called to destroy the Philistines, the one who caused so much headache to the Philistine, and now he's the laughingstock of the Philistines. What is his life doing, y'all? What is he doing? He's just going in circles. I've recognized that in my life, when I used to live outside of God's presence, there was no purpose. I didn't know my way. I didn't understand myself fully. And all I was doing was, I was like the children of Israel. I was like Samson. That when I was absent of God's presence, my presence didn't make any sense. I was just going in circles in my life with the same old sin, with the same old garbage, with the same old things. And nothing in my life made sense. Everything about me was depressed. Everything about me was lost. I thought that it was better for me to get high. I thought it was better to hang out with those people. But in reality, day after day after day after day, as I lived outside of God's presence, I found myself just doing circles. Anyone can relate to me? Blinded. Thinking I'm living, but in reality, I'm dead. And I'm doing circles like Samson. Because what verse 16, 20 tells me, he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Let me tell you something. How do you not know that God's presence is no longer with you? So here is this man who did so many great things. And when we read this story, I don't think that his hair is what made him strong. I don't think that's when he really lost his strength because his strength really doesn't come from here. We read that earlier that the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. So it only comes to, to one answer. It was this. It was the Lord was his strength. It's when Yahweh was existent in his life. That's where his strength was found. The Lord is his strength. Your hair is not your strength. I mean, it's beautiful. It's fine. It's great, but it's not your strength. Samson found himself in a point of his life where he was making decisions. He was making wrong decisions. He was walking down crooked paths. 
It wasn't a one day to another kind of thing. We see that through his life, he was taking his eyes off the Lord little by little each day. And the existing one, day after day, he was slowly non-existent in Samson's life anymore. Did you catch that? Not because the Lord wanted to, but because Samson chose to. Notice, guys, that when Samson stopped being led by God's presence, he began to struggle in his presence. Man, I want you to know this. Ready? Without the connection of his presence, it just doesn't work. Without his presence, it just doesn't work. What good is church coming over here on a Sunday if God's presence is not here? Don't come here. You go to another place and find his presence. Without his presence, it's just not going to work. I've noticed that in my life. Without God's presence, it's just not going to work. Acts 19, there's a group of Jews, right? And they're traveling from town to town, the sons of Sceva. I don't have time to go through all the summary history of what's going on here. But listen to this. They were casting evil spirits. In verse 13 through 17 of Acts 19, it says, So these traveling Jews, these group of Jews... They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in casting out demons. And they went up to a man. They said, I command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. But one time they tried it. Everyone say one time they tried it. Yeah, yeah, one time too many. (laughs) Should not have done it this day. Messed with the wrong demons. But one time they tried it. And catch this, guys. And the spirit replied, I know Jesus. I know Paul. But who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. Ready? Put to shame. Shame. Verse 17, the story of what happened spread quickly all throughout Ephesus, Jews and Greeks alike, and a solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Just flow with me here. We relate to God. We relate to God by the presence, not by the name. Without the connection of his presence, it doesn't work. Listen. I've recognized this, that you can know the name of Jesus, you can quote the name of Jesus, you can preach the name of Jesus, you can sing the name of Jesus, but it's in the presence where the power is found, where victory is found. You want God to move, you want him to move in you and through you, then here it is, ready? Then you move into his presence now. I've learned, I've learned, I have learned that there are some things that knowledge and reading books and studying for years will never be able to do for me that only his presence will be able to do for me. Most importantly, in me. I love when the scholarly, educated, theologian type figures are shocked by ordinary men who being in the presence of Jesus was more powerful than all the knowledge that they've attained in their seminary studies. What am I talking about? I'm talking about Acts chapter 4 verse 13. It says the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. That they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. And they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. 
Without his presence, it's, it's, it's of no use. You could know, you could quote, you could sing a roof, you could talk about it, you could gather about it. But if there is no presence, there is no power, there is no victory. I love that all the knowledge that the Pharisees had. I love all the, the studies that they have under their belt. But I can't read one, one line in the text where it tells me where they casted out one demon, where they raised up one dead person. Not one. I'm going to tell you why. Because they had a lot of something, but they had no presence to back up what they had. So you could have all the knowledge, and you could have all the studies, and you, I mean, you could have it all, but if the presence is not there to back that stuff up, all it is is just words coming out. I love that when Jesus walks through villages, people with blood, uh, like the woman with the flow of blood, just touches him, and she's made well. I love that when his presence is there, there's miracles, there's signs, there's wonders, there's breakthroughs, there's some amazing things. And I love that when these scholarly individuals look at these men, they recognize these people have been in the presence with Jesus. And all I want to do and all I'm saying is today is here it is. Ready? Church, all I want and all God wants and what he's tugging at my heart is this. Regal, here it is. Church, seek his presence and you're going to find it. Just like he tells Moses, my presence shall go with thee. I will personally go with you. Lord, I need your presence. I'm ready to jump in. How many of you can say, I'm ready to jump in? I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 139, chapters one, chapter 139, verses 1 through 10. He says, oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what? God's presence is there. You, you know what I'm going to say before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. Verse 7, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there, verse 10, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Man, Fall in love. Get into God's presence and you will live in a better presence. I'm not telling you that everything you want will be given to you. But I'm telling you that everything that he desires will be accomplished in your life. Get into his presence and you will live in a better presence. Fall in love with that. Get into his presence. Jump in the waters. I'm going to ask Tito just to come up as we get ready to sing and, and we get into uh, just, Lord, we're hungry for your presence. I want to share scripture with you. And I want to end with this main point, and it's this, if you're taking notes. Jump in the water. In a little bit, you could ask the person next to you, you want to jump in with me? Let's jump in the water together. And in Revelation, it's talking about the eternal kingdom. It's speaking about the glory of the new Jerusalem, if you're taking notes. Turn to Revelation 22, 1 through 5, and look what it says here. It says, then the angel showed me a river with the water of life. And it was clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. Verse 2 says, It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. These leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. 
Verse 3, no longer will the tree be a curse upon anything. I love that, that the tree of life now is a blessing and it's healing nations. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there. His presence is there. And his servants will worship him. Verse 4, and they will see his face and in his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there. There will be no lamps or sun there. Because his presence is there. Can you see that? For the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. Man, one of my favorite things to do is talk about home. I love talking about home because this is where I will reign. This is where I will live for all of eternity. In the new Jerusalem, in the eternal kingdom of God. Miami is just for a moment. Florida is just my state for a moment. But I'm going to tell you that if you are a believer in Christ, you are his bride, his church. There will be a day for the rest of eternity that home is not in the present. Home is in his presence. And I long for the day of the new Jerusalem. I long for the day where, where we are there with him. And I want you to notice something in Revelation 22. It says that this, 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 there's this river there. And the water that flows in this river, it's no ordinary water. Did you catch that? This water flows with life. It's a river with living water. It's like if I could almost say that there is, there is something that exists in this water. The existing one. There's life in this water. I know that there's life because Revelation 22 says that because of this water, there is growth. There is fruits now bearing. And then there is healing. There is life. Because of this water, things begin to exist. This water is amazing. It flows from its source. And the source of this water is, which, is that which gives it the ability to do what it does. Well, what is the ability it's this. It's supernatural occurrences that come from this water. And then it says here in Revelation 22, it comes out clear as crystal. It's showing us that it's the purest water that any eye will ever see. And then you read and you recognize that this water comes from the throne of God and the Lamb. It comes from the source. The source who is pure. The source who is powerful. The source who is healer. Guys, as I end, it's all about Jesus. It's all about our source. I need more of him and more of his presence. The water causes things to exist. Because it flows from the one who is called the existing one. So I, I read this and I say, I want this presence. And I'm ready to jump in this water, in the presence, in the water of the existing one. And I believe that there's water that flows for you today. That there's a presence that flows. A.W. Tozer again says this. Listen to these words. I want the presence of God himself. Or I don't want anything at all to do with religion. I want all that God has. Or I don't want any. Man. I ask you to stand with me today. As we stand. And you look at your life. And you look at where Christ is at there. 
Here it is, guys. His presence is here. He is the existing one. So draw near to Yahweh. The existing one. All I could say is, church, jump in the water. Jump in the water. Because his presence is there. Well, I don't know. And I will call out my name, the existing one. Well, is it even possible? I will call out my name. I will show myself to you. I am the existing one. Come on. Guys, if you need to come before God and say, Lord, you're non-existent. I need your presence to exist in me. The existing one, come. I'm jumping in your water today. Jump in. I want to get soaked up. That in your presence, I will know who I am. I will understand you more fully. And I will know the way to walk. Because I know you more fully. And I know your way in your presence, like Moses said. So if you find yourself like Moses, don't even think about that person. And today you're saying, Lord, let your presence, let your glorious presence come. So that I could understand you more fully. So that I could know your ways. Because I'm still trying to figure myself out. But today I recognize that it's in your presence where that stuff is figured out. Guys, don't even think about it. If that's you, come up to this altar. We're going to pray for you. We're going to sing a song of worship. And say, Lord, here I am. I jump in the water. As you take that step up, say, Lord, I, I, I come up to the front. But let it be a sign of me jumping in the water. I need your presence so that I could finally live in a better present. So let's go ahead and worship him together. If you want to come up and you want us to pray with you, we'll pray with you. But right there where you're standing, get into his presence. Begin to cry out to him. Raise your voices. Open up your hearts. Stretch out your high hands. And let God glorify himself over you. Let his presence fill you. Jump in the water, church. Let him do the supernatural work in you. Hallelujah. The altar is open if you need to pray.